on today's show, we are taking your questions in our own version of Reader Mail. All coming at you next. What's up and welcome to Crossfire Faith and Gaming, where we talk gaming, we talk faith. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Reverend David Petty, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, Brian Swift and Russell Dornish. Uh, so today we're going to get diving in deep on our segment today, which is called pause menu. And the idea behind today's pause menu is that we are going to power up your gaming knowledge by answering questions that our readers have sent in. So uh, I'm just going to kick it over to Russ and Russ, whenever you're ready, why don't you go ahead and just bring us some of those reader questions? Listener, okay, I'm ex- listener, oh, yeah. que- readers, listener questions, the listeners. Questions, that's, yeah. Hey, you know, that's old school. Um, we're a magazine now, everybody. Uh, okay. So obviously, you know, listener questions. So we got a lot going on. Let's go with the first question that we have for both Brian and David. Uh, the listener writes in, Hey, this is John from Seattle. I've been playing a lot of open world RPGs lately, and I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for similar open world RPGs that you've played with engaging storylines. David, I already know what you're going to answer right off the top. I mean, there's one that's probably pretty big for you. Well, I I don't know. I guess for me, it always defined the question is how do you define RPGs, right? Because I feel like there's a lot of those open world RPG kind of games, like is Horizon Forbidden West or Horizon Zero yes. Dawn, do those count yes. as RPGs? Because yes. I think for and that's me, that's what I knew you were going to say. I'm actually going to go. I'm going to go back before that in time. For me, it was probably Fallout Three that oh, I yeah. played that really brought me into that open world first person shooter, but open world RPG because I loved the character building, especially all those different customizations, being able to level up your skill or your charisma. So for me, it's fallout three. What about you guys? What Brian? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot to choose from, right? You could go Witcher series or, Mm. you know, any any of these others, but I want to talk about a game that's coming up that I'm excited about that. I think I may actually play. Uh, and that's Starfield. I'm really looking forward to this game. It's coming soon. Uh, so I think that's actually my pick. Yeah, I'm going to go with what I'm playing right now, uh, which is Final Fantasy 16. Now, here's the caveat. Uh, is it actually an RPG? Uh, not in the usual sense of a Final Fantasy game. Is it open world? Not in the usual aspect of a Final Fantasy open world game. Very interesting. I'm going to throw that curveball in there. But again, thank you so much, John. And, you know, stay dry there in Seattle. Uh, Brian, how about you? Let's get a let's get a question from your listener list. Yeah, so here's another question for you guys. Gabriel from Charlotte asks, what are your thoughts on the current state of the gaming industry? And are there any trends or developments that you find particularly exciting or concerning? Uh, well, I know David's answer, but I will go with mine. Uh, I just, I just know. I talked to David enough about this stuff. So, uh, my gaming trends and what I want to discuss. I mean, obviously, right now, I think the biggest thing is um, what direction is the gaming industry going when it comes to uh, the actual gaming companies producing games. Uh, obviously the big news of the week is Microsoft finally beating the FTC on the Activision Blizzard deal. Um, my big thoughts and what I've been saying is like, I'm, I'm fine. I get it. 
Every company has been buying companies over time. I think this is one of the bigger purchases we've ever seen. Uh, and while a lot of gamers are like, yeah, it's great. I love it for Xbox. The one thing I want to remind people is when courts rule on these type of things, it does set a precedence that it can be done again. So if tomorrow Sony decided to go out and purchase EA, take two, some massive gaming company to again shrink down the market, they would easily be able to point to this FTC ruling for Microsoft and say, if you allowed them to do it, you now have to allow me to do it, or that's just unfair business practice. Uh, so while some gamers are rejoicing, some people are saying it's fine, I just want to remind people that this is setting up a precedence for the future of the gaming industry, where I've, I believe that as we go forward, we are going to see a lot of the major AAA game companies all fall under the houses of Nintendo sony and microsoft and then the indie games are going to be the only kind of small studio spaces that are going to kind of fill in the difference we've we've been kind of going towards that uh the one piece of information that i really enjoyed from the ftc case against microsoft was we did get some numbers on how much a triple a game costs uh with both the last of us part two and uh horizon forbidden west all cost sony about 220 million dollars each so we're getting into blockbuster movie territory here uh so with that i think that's going to create some bigger and drastic uh widening in the industry so david your thoughts on where you think it's all going and the status of it now yeah i mean i think that that when i think about the gaming industry to me the the trends in the gaming industry uh i think more options more games uh, less interesting developments. You know, we talked about this a while back with the, the advent of unreal engine five and how wonderful that is. And yet how it also allows, um, less work to create acceptable games, right? I see the same thing, the same trend happening in games as what happened in photography, where, you know, suddenly everybody's got something in their cam in the camera in their pocket that can take acceptable photographs. So now the luxury of having a photograph is no longer a luxury. We just take photos of everything willy nilly. And we don't really care if they're good. Like half the time we just take a crappy photo. It's like, look, I was here. Um, I think the same thing is happening in some of the gaming world where we're seeing games that are perhaps a little lazy, right? Or perhaps places that are, are prioritizing uh, one game review that I just read today, prioritizing quantity over quality, prioritizing graphics over storytelling. Uh, you know, this particular game review says uh, this game answers the question, what would the phrase quantity over quality look like if it were turned into a game? They said, uh, what did they say? It feels like um, an RPG that is so agonizingly long with its bland and confusing story and God awful <laughs> combat that it turns bad ideas into atrocious ones by sheer volume. So oh. I think we're seeing a little bit of that in the gaming industry where there's just tons of games, many of which feel the same. Uh, but on an optimistic standpoint, I think we're also getting far more games, far more choice uh, and more access to those choices through things like game pass and PlayStation, um, mm. whatever their PlayStation thing is called. I should know. But yeah, that's Plus. actually what I was thinking. What were you thinking? I was going to say, Oh, I figured you were going to go down the VR train. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. No. VR has no future. 
It's but Stadia. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Stadia. R.I.P. Stadia. I do. I do want to talk about a trend that I think is both exciting and concerning, and that's uh, where AI and these large language models are going to fit within usage in the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it opens up a lot of exciting possibilities, you know, things we've discussed before, like, you know, voicing way more lines of dialogue, with, uh, but not having to use, utilize, you know, utilize the voice actors, like, overkill and, and have them doing hundreds of hours of voice acting. Um, it, op- you know, it makes programmers more productive. Um, it can generate ideas really fast. It's really good at ideation, but also there's a lot of things that are concerning, right? We're seeing this in the movie industry. Uh, that's part of what the big, uh, strike disagreement is about. And, you know, whether we're trying to use AI to replace people's work, all of that type of stuff is very concerning. So it's, I think that's both exciting and concerning in terms of trends within the gaming industry. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. David, what, what question right. do you have for us? So I've got a question uh, and this one actually comes to me. I'll answer it. I think it's a quick answer. Uh, this is specifically to me written from Emily from Austin, Texas. Emily writes, do you think that video games could be used as an effective medium for religious teachings? Could you share an example of a game that you think does this well? Uh, And I'm actually just going to give a huge shout out to Bible X's recent video game that they've titled gate zero. Uh, It does exactly this. I mean, it takes video game uh, as a medium and then teaches scripture. And, you know, so there's a part where you're playing through and, and you're playing as this like time traveler kind of think assassin's creed and you meet this couple and they're looking for their son who's gone missing and his name is Jesus and they can't find him. And you've got to try to figure out based on your access to scripture, like where did Jesus possibly go? And you find out eventually he's in the temple where he says, you know, didn't you know I was in my father's house? Uh, so yeah, so I'm going to, I'm just going to answer that one real quick. And then I'm actually going to jump ahead to a question that is for all of us. This question comes from Samantha from San Diego, who says, I'm curious, what are some of your all time favorite video game soundtracks? How do you think Ooh. music impacts the overall gaming experience? Oh, and I'm going to throw that yes. one to Brian first, uh, because I think Brian needs a, a first at bat. Man, I mean, there are so many good game soundtracks. Um, I remember, it, I, I, I have a memory in college of just being like so impressed with the Warcraft 2 soundtrack. that um, and, and the cool thing about that was it was actually a Red Book CD. So you could play it, you play the game, but you could also just play the CD in a CD player. Um, but man, NES soundtracks like... Russian Attack and Double Dragon. Um, I always think of old school stuff. What about you, Russ? Oh man, I have a lot. Uh, most recently, I'm again. I'm going to bring it up. Final Fantasy 16. I love what they did with the game. Man, there's some scenes in there and and battles that you get into where they got some great music choices playing there. Um, another one that just made me go wow. Uh, David can probably uh, attest to this. Uh, Death Stranding. Just, you know, when the game first opens up and does the cinematic as you're walking through the world and that music is playing, it was just 
Oh man. And then if we're going for like actual like uh music soundtrack with like words and singing, uh I'm going to go with the classic uh Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Uh the 80s soundtrack on that and the songs that they picked uh for those radio stations were made for some of the best just as a kid and teenager just driving around Grand Theft Auto Vice City just so I could listen to the music and just feel like I was a cool person driving a car. Uh, so those have to be on at least part of my list. Uh, David, what about you? Yeah, so I'm going to throw a few different options in here. Uh, to me, uh, the first one that came to mind was The Last of Us. Um, I mean, The Last mm-hmm. of Us soundtrack by Gustavo uh, Santalala, uh, Santalaya. I don't, I don't know. Uh, by Gustavo S. Uh, the Last you just of Us soundtrack. Gustavo. People know. Who oh he my is. gosh! And and he did the Last of Us soundtrack both for the game and for the recent show. Just just hauntingly beautiful music, which is exactly what the game is. I mean, it's this hauntingly beautiful place where there's this beauty and chaos simultaneously. So I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, I think my pick for a classic with lots of music, uh, with spoken words, is Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Oh um, yeah. I mean, who doesn't think of Tony Hawk pro skater. And as soon as you think you hear the name, Tony Hawk pro skater, your brain goes. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's there. And then I also have to along those lines. I just thought of another one. SSX three, man, that soundtrack was awesome. And like, man, anytime I hear one of the songs that was on that, it just takes me right back. Yeah. Um, and then I've got to throw Tetris and the Tetris effect. I think Ooh, original, original Tetris, original. which is just classic, but Tetris effect, what they did with the music as you play it, it, it's cool. It's cool. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, David, uh, recently on my playlist has been the, the Superman song from Tony Hawk and every time it pops on Goldfinger, just right? like transported back yeah it that that's a classic that's especially because I, mean, I remember we i had the demo which was like just yeah. the first level and yep. only the had warehouse. i think it was that and one other song and yep. so you, that's that's all you did like <laughs> constantly it was hours just, and, and i just hours sat there hours. like blasting singing that while playing it listen oh that's just that's and nostalgia i still right have there. to hand it i mean when, when it comes to nostalgia I think Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 Plus 2, the remake that they recently did a couple years ago, like Perfect. what an amazing, like I picked up the controller and it felt like I was 10 again. And yeah. I have not had that kind of feeling, in a, you know, just like, oh my gosh, this feels exactly how I remember it. Because most games, you pick up an old game and you go, this was way more fun back then. Like, <laughs> you know, yep. for some reason, there's something, you know, massive gap, but uh, but they did a great job with that game, so. Um, Rest, so my you? next question, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to kick it over to Brian first. Cause I think this actually pertains to him more, especially as somebody who has a child that plays these type of games. And then David, you too. But, uh, the listener writes in, hi, my name is Sarah. I'm a big fan of multiplayer shooters. And I'm curious about your thoughts on the recent trend of battle Royale games. Uh, it's, it goes on to say, do you think this genre has reached its peak or do you think it will be able to evolve any further? Brian, what are your thoughts? Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. That's, that's, that's been a, an area of gaming that has been evolving like rapidly over the last at five years or maybe a little more. 
right? And we've seen the rise of PUBG and the rise of Fortnite. And I think it has some room to still grow um, because we've seen some, like, innovative entries into the genre, maybe not as big as, like, Fortnite and whatnot, Mm -hmm. um, but we've seen some, like, spinoff ideas that use the idea of a battle royale, but, like, instead of a shooter, it's this other type of game. I think we're going to continue to see that. I don't know that we're going to see, like, a new battle royale first-person shooter game like take over the world again i think fortnite the way it just continues to evolve and innovate i think we'll probably just continue to occupy that spot i mean i could be wrong but um but yeah i think there's still some room that we'll still we'll still see some innovation in the battle royale genre what about you guys yeah i think um the question of of what was the first part? Because there was a question, did Battle Royale hit its peak? And then the, what was the first so, part of that question? Um, do you think it's, yeah, do you think it's hit its peak and do you expect it to evolve any further? Um, yeah, I would say all things evolve, right? That, that that's just a thing that happens. So I would expect to see new evolutions, new takes, new, new twists. Um, you know, but I think the question of has it hit its peak? Um, I feel like we're probably at, no, I'd, I'd say we're probably past peak, but I don't know that it's like a hump that now we're going to be like a, a massive downside, much more like kind of like uh, what we saw with like, wow. So World of Warcraft became very popular and has slowly trended down over time to a lot less users, but it's not like it just dropped off overnight and now nobody plays it. There's still a good user base out there that's playing it all the time. I think the same kind of thing with Battle Royale games, especially with Fortnite, um, but you never know. They're, they're constantly evolving and changing and coming out with new and interesting content. And it seems like every couple of uh, like once or twice a year, there's something that draws my kid back in and he goes, Oh, I just heard about this new thing in Fortnite. I go check it out. Mm -hmm. So yeah. 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 I, I think, well, we're kind of seeing it one. I agree with you, Brian. Um, I think Fortnite has just, they're the ones that have just continued to evolve continue to stay on the cutting edge, continue to stay in the mind, you know, of of all of the young gamers and old gamers and everybody. You know, PUBG, I completely forgot about. I, I can't remember the last time I've heard, uh, you know, a ton of stuff about PUBG. Obviously, you get your Call of Duties, you get your, you know, uh, Apex, like those ones I hear every now and then, but it's always Fortnite because I feel like Epic Games is always, you know, evolving. The big one that I noticed that Epic Games is doing now is they're using the Fortnite engine to allow people not only the sandbox to play the game, but now the sandbox to create games using the characters and the the level building and all that stuff. So I think one way that it, that it's going to continue to evolve is it's going to give the tools to the users to start creating their own things. And my goodness, is that a smart move on Epic's part? Because now, not only are you getting your gamers to be the ones to create new content, you're not paying them. So whether or not they realize it, they're working for free and developing stuff for Epic, who's now not only going to make money off the fact that people are playing the game and buying in, you know, microtransactions, but now they don't have to pay for development money because the the users are going to do it themselves. So that's that. I mean, Epic, way to go for you. Like, that might be something we're talking about later on. Uh, Brian, what question do you have next for us? 
Yeah, my next question. Chloe from Birmingham asks, how do you feel about the role of video games in promoting inclusivity and diversity? What steps do you believe the industry should take to improve representation? So Russ, I'm going to go to you first. Wow, that is a that's a big one. We've talked about this a lot. Um, obviously, as far as the actual inclusivity and where that is at, uh, I think they've made huge strides. Uh, the fact that so many char- so many games now have um, female leads, like that wasn't a thing for the longest time. You know, we look at her, and and I will give this, and and I know everybody knows that I'm a PlayStation gamer, but if I'm honest, like PlayStation does an absolutely fantastic job at all of this stuff. They are at the forefront when it comes to accessibility in games. They are at the forefront when it comes to representation in games. You've got most of the major games from Sony right now star a female character. You've got Horizon. You've got Last of Us. Like two of the biggest franchises in the Sony repertoire right now are female-led. Not to mention that The Last of Us is obviously led by a female lesbian character. So you've got that representation in it. You've got games like Life is Strange that brought in representation. So I think right now we are at the, you know, a huge changing and kind of shift in the gaming industry in a good way. You know, I I will say the gaming community can be toxic at times. I know there's a lot of people when these games have come out, they're like, you know, I remember when when uh, uh, Horizon Forbidden West and all those games came out. They're like, you know, it's a boy looking girl like she's supposed to look hot. She's supposed to look like, you know, Laura Croft, Um, you know, look at this. They would do screenshots of it and be like, this doesn't look like a girl. Great. You know, things like that are just annoying. And we're always going to deal with that, unfortunately, Um, just because of the way that now social media and online works. Um, but I think for the most part, they're getting good representation, good, good feedback and good answers to it. So, uh, I think that's really good as far as where the gaming community can go. I think just continue doing what they're doing, continue adding in representation of all races, continue adding in representation of all genders. Um, all of those are going to be great things because as we say it, you know, when people are like, oh, great, another, another game with a female character or another game with with a black character or another game with an Asian character. Like, why are they doing this all the time? I'm going to go, Hey, you've had 50 years of a white straight man as the main character in gaming or probably more. I can't tell you how many games. I mean, you go back to gosh, the people's reactions to uh, Metroid finding out that your character was a female the whole time. Uh, that didn't really affect the way you played the game. Did it? No, it didn't. Um, but before I go on like a full tirade and, <laughs> you know, thing on this, David, you, you answer it from your point. Um, so back in 2017, I attended E3 and got to listen in on a a panel presentation that was put on by, um, women in gaming. And so I've I've got two answers to this based on that panel discussion, because that same year, um, I'm pretty sure that, uh, gears of war five was coming out with a female lead and battlefield five coming out with a female lead That's right? Uh, and, and female infantry uh, you know, that the people were up in arms cause you know, maybe that wasn't realistic or something, but that was right around the time that we learned about the uh, women aviators that were kind of under represented in history uh, you know, because they weren't officially part of the air force because they weren't allowed to be in the air force or something like that. But um so anyway, I'm, somebody's probably going to correct me on that. But I think that there's a point of representation, which is always important because 
people live in the world. And anytime that somebody can look at a game and say, oh, this character looks like me, or I see myself represented, um, or even just to say, oh, I never thought about people who might live that way or people who might love that way or people who might look like that. And I've never thought about their experience, right? The reality is that people are playing games from all different walks of life all around the world. And there are people of all different walks of life all around the world. So the more we encounter people who are different than us, the more tolerant we become, the more accepting we become, the more, the more godlike I think we become in our view of the diversity of creation, not godlike, but the more we have God's perspective, I think in the diversity of creation. Um, so all of those things are wonderful and important. I think the other thing that doesn't get talked about when having these debates is women in the gaming industry, mm. right? That at the time, I think they were saying that women make up only 17% of the gaming industry when it's not for lack of women who want to be a part of the gaming industry, but it's because of this kind of like masculine energy. And of course I say this as a man pastor sitting in this podcast with three of us men. So people out there who are different than us, if you're listening, if you want to be on our podcast and co-host it with us, we would love to have you uh, help us out in this endeavor. Uh, and also please correct us when we get it wrong. But <laughs> they were saying, you know, there's, there's this massive underrepresentation of women. And part of it is this kind of like bro space that's been created as we saw many years ago and all the stuff that came out with the blizzard and the guy and the horrible stuff that was going on. So, how do we change that? How do we make it better? So back to the question, I don't remember what the official question was, but I think that, uh, more representation, more diversity, uh, and more games made by people who are not like us, the better. So yeah, I want to point something out here. Um, you know, we saw star Wars outlaws, which has a female lead. And, and, and the thing that I noticed is actually the lack of, of any kind of outcry. Like I didn't see mm. anything, at least mm. in my feeds about how, you know, Oh, another, you know, woman, uh, you know, female lead that, you know, I, I just, I think we're finally maybe starting to get to where that's been normalized. And if so, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I think the hard so. question with all of that is always the, um, who's not at the table, right? Uh, and so, you know, often in these kind of diversity things, it's like, well, we need more diverse characters. Okay. We got white characters, but we need black characters too. And you're like, okay, well, hold on. Like we have a vast underrepresentation. We see this in television and film in general. Like there's a vast underrepresentation of Asian Pacific Islander, um, Latino, right. That, that those identities are underrepresented. Um, I think like we just talked about that even across races, then are we talking about disabilities, and different abilities mm -hmm. are, are people with different abilities represented well. Um, and then, uh, kind of like we were having a conversation earlier offline, but are those identities being represented in good ways or do we have those identities represented in stereotyping ways, you know, where you got like, Oh, well, this is the autistic kid acting the way that we expect autistic people to act because this is the stereotype of autism. So so that's always a challenge. And I think just constantly asking the question, how do we be better tomorrow than we were yesterday? So. Love it. Yeah. We, so we still I've got have a question. Go. I've got a question for the two of you. <laughs> All right. If you guys are ready for it. Okay. This question comes from, Oh, hold on. Got to find it again. Uh, okay. 
Uh, this comes from Chloe from Phoenix, Arizona. This is for Brian and Russ. They say, uh, Chloe says, I know Brian prefers Xbox and PC games, but Russ is a PlayStation gamer. Have you ever tried swapping preferred gaming platforms for a week? And what was that experience like? Or I guess I'll just throw in there. Have you ever tried uh, the other gaming platform? And, and what do you think, even though perhaps it's not your preferred? Well, well, Chloe, just so you know, even though I'm a PlayStation gamer at heart, I do own an Xbox. So I have plenty of experience in the Xbox ecosystem. I will tell you why PlayStation is my preferred. Uh, I love trophies more than I do achievements. That's just the way it is. I'm also a gamer who greatly enjoys single-player narrative stories. And as most people know, when it comes to PlayStation exclusives, uh, that is heavily what PlayStation invests in at the moment uh, with their games versus some of the other titles and stuff that they go. So I think that's honestly why, and I, I without you know stealing Brian's thunder, I think that's both why we like the platforms we do is because there are very specific game genres and games that we each love. And that is why we choose the platforms that we do because of those games. We are not gamers that are just like, I choose this because I hate everybody else. It's, you know, we go where the games are and the games that I like happen to be on PlayStation. Yeah, I would say that Xbox does tend to cater towards the type of games that I like. You know, whereas Russ is really story and narrative heavy in terms of the games he likes to play, I tend to like, you know, more systematized games. Um, and there happen to be a lot of those on Xbox, and there are a lot of those on Game Pass, which, um, you know, I think is, is great value. Um, but that's not to say I wouldn't play PlayStation games, really. The, the only reason I don't play PlayStation games at this point is just I don't have enough money to own both platforms. So, but you know, if I, if I had the extra, the extra cash laying around, I absolutely would buy a PlayStation and play some of the, you know, the games that we know are some of the best games on that platform. So yep. we, we might have to, we might have to set something up because I do have an extra PlayStation four. I, I was just thinking the same thing, Russ. I was like, I don't yeah. know the last time I touched my PlayStation four, it could, uh, could find its way over to Brian's house just so you could I play through. I think it should. I, I would love to get your reaction to some games like the last of us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Sounds like I have some homework. Yeah. We'll give you two playstations, <laughs> one for each hand. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and I would love to see, you know, what Ty's thoughts are on some of the exclusives, not like the really, you know, mature yeah, no. <laughs> exclusives, but some of the other ones, um, mind you, last of us children out there, very, very mature. Yeah. You have to be uh, 35 so please, to play that. Yes. Pretty much. Um, Real quick, I've, I've got, got a question some... for you guys. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump the gun, but I have to do this one because I love the intro that this person wrote. They said, hello, David is my all-time favorite member of the podcast. That might be because my name is also David. As a fan of retro gaming, I'm interested in your thoughts on the recent surge in popularity of retro-inspired games. Do you think these games capture the original essence of classic gaming or do they fall short in comparison? Yes. Yes, they do. That's, <laughs> that's my answer. Um, I, we just talked about Tony Hawk, right? So Tony Hawk is a remaster remake of, uh, and there's a lot of remakes uh, that do a great job of really bringing back whatever the original thing was. Now, granted, a lot of those remakes aren't necessarily retro, um, but that being said, I think that there are games that do remakes and 
bringing back retro and they do it really well. And then there are ones that are just, I think of as cash grabs and they're, they're almost like a bad port and you feel like, well, yeah, I guess you could play this, but it's um, not great, you know? So what do you, what do you think about the the like indie games that have been coming out recently that are doing like the pixelated graphics and kind of, you know, the old side scrollers and the platformers like those have been around since gaming began mm, and yeah. they continue to be around. What are your thoughts on those games kind of hitting that? And do you think they capture that same essence that a Mario, uh, you know, a sure. Castlevania yeah. does back in the day? Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, I think that those, those genres of games and now it's an artistic choice, right? Back then it was a physical limitation of, <laughs> you know, how much memory you had on your console, yeah. but now it's a, it's an artistic choice. The same way that if somebody makes a black and white film, uh, you know, like, um, like, what was it? Life is beautiful or chocolate or I don't, I don't remember. There was some, you know, black and oh, white film in there that was, that, you know, they use black and white as an artistic, uh, thought the same way that there are films now that are shot in four, three ratio, the same way that there are TV shows that choose, I, I don't know, whatever it's an artistic choice. And I think those games that make those artistic choices usually tend to do pretty well. And then games like Stardew Valley that, you know, my sister's talked about that she loves cozy cottage games. And so this game that's like not high intensity graphics, it's just like a easy, you know, it's like a buttered toast of a game. It's just, just melt in your mouth, warm, cozy, tasty. It's like the comfort food of games. Uh, so I think those, those games do a pretty good job. That being said, I think it can get to the point it's overused or cliche. Um, but I, my favorite game last year, I think one of my favorite games was unpacking again, 2d point and click game. That's all pixelated. And it told a great story in doing nothing but unpacking somebody's house over and over and over again. <laughs> Who if, thought we would get to this point where you have packing simulators? Right. Uh, Did you guys play unpacking simulator? Did you play that? No, haven't played yet. it yet. You should set aside a few. It's like a three hour play. Just set aside okay. a few hours, play through it. That's okay. great. Brian, your thoughts on uh, the retro comeback? Yeah. I mean, I love retro games um, and I love retro inspired games. I do think that there's a hidden challenge with making a retro style game in that uh, the thing that you actually need to capture is the way that we think those games felt and not the way those games actually played. Mm. So uh, I think a great example of this, like hitting a home run with this, is uh, Shredder's Revenge. Yes. Right? We saw, yeah, we, we saw, we saw that game came out and it played like I remembered the TMNT arcade game playing. But in reality, that game is actually a lot better than the yes. original arcade game. Because I've gone back and played that game. It has a very limited move set. You know, there's a bunch of other things that are kind of frustrating. Uh, the level design and some of the cheap hits that you take in that game. Yeah. None of that is in Shredder's Revenge. They fixed all of those things. And it just feels like, man, like like the perfect version of that retro game, even though actually it's it's done a lot of innovation. So I think those are the best, to me, the best type of retro style games are ones that capture the way we think of those games and not the way those games actually are. You know what, Brian? You know why TMNT plays like that now versus the old one? You got to remember 
those original ones came out as arcade games. What better way than to suck your quarters in than to have cheap hits and things that you just never noticed. And now it's a game that you just get pretty much unlimited continues on now, which is another great you know aspect to it. But that's why you make it tighter now is because, you know, if you want people playing it long term, you know, that's one of the ways to do it versus, you know, the other one. You're like, oh, just a little bit more. I'm going to beat it this time. One more quarter, one more quarter. Um, but so, I totally agree on that. That's a good example. Brian, this actually jumps right into this next question that I saw here. Uh, this comes from Linda from Denver, Colorado, who oh, says, oh, uh, Brian, I know as you're a programmer, do you often find yourself analyzing the technical aspects of games you play? Has this ever spoiled the feeling of the gaming experience? So the answer is definitely yes to the first question. I I'm always thinking about the technical aspects of games. How did some, sometimes it's how did they do this? Cause it seems impossible. Uh, sometimes it's like, Oh, you know, this is, this is a really innovative thing. I do think of it from a programmer's perspective and like, you know, I, I, game design is also one of my interests and I consider myself kind of a hobbyist game designer. So I'm always looking at it from that perspective. Um, but I don't think it's ever really ruined a game for me. And that might just be like the way I'm built in particular. Um, I don't find it distracting. Um, I, I think there are times though that I've, I, I've run into cases where I saw something coming be just because of, you know, kind of that, that technical perspective. Um, not that it necessarily spoiled the story, but uh, there are times when I've, I've kind of seen things telegraphed and, and, and figured things out ahead of time. But, but yeah, I absolutely think of games from a technical perspective for sure. Neat. Russ, I've got one for you. If, uh, if you don't have yeah. any more. Yeah. All right. So this is uh, from Sarah from Sandwich, Massachusetts, um, little known town of Sandwich. Many RPG games incorporate elements of sacrifice, which is central to the Christian teachings. How does this influence your gaming experience? Wow. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to give a weird answer to this. Is like I, I don't let it really affect that. I mean, for me, gaming is a, an outlet, a thing that I do. Um, that just kind of is something I do. I don't really think that deep into it for the most part. Um, there have been a few games that have really caused me to think and also uh, apply it to my biblical background and my Christian teachings and all that. Um, but I'd say for the most part, I just, you know, I want to experience something, enjoy it, kind of get away, similar to just watching a movie, not really having to analyze it, not really having to tie it back to that. Um, so yeah, I would say I'm going to cop out a little bit by saying that of like, you know, without going too deep into it, uh, that's kind of my thoughts. On that same part, David, I'm going to throw this back to you uh -oh. uh, because we have a question um, from uh, Joseph here. He says, um, David, as a pastor, do you think there are any specific themes or elements in video games that can positively impact players' spirituality or promote values such as empathy, compassion, and or cooperation. Yeah, I think um, we've talked about this a little bit. I think that games often provide uh, choice, right? And moral choices. Uh, it is also always interesting whether we choose the same moral choices that we would in real life or 
because we know it's a game, do we say, well, you know, I know that in real life I would do this thing to try to save the child or whatever, but what if I just let it go? Right. You know, and so games offer us kind of a sandbox in which to explore the avenues of moral choices of values. Um, but I think absolutely that anytime that you can, can encounter, uh, opportunities to challenge your own experience, your beliefs, your perspectives, I think it's a good thing. Uh, most of us live in relatively limited spaces in rel le relatively limited times in relatively limited experiences. And you know, our experience is this big and sometimes games allow us to take that experience and say, what if it was this big? You know, what if we also had the opportunity to experience life as, you know, a mother of three children who has to choose between saving one of her children or saving the whole village? And this game posits that question. So I don't know. I, I think it's a good thing. Definitely. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I want to I want to kind of, you know, launch off of that kind of last point that you were making in terms of like one of the things that games really gives us the ability to do is live the experience of someone else, you know, sort of walk in someone else's shoes. I think that's really powerful. Um, and I think that's one of the best things that games can do is set up scenarios set me up as a specific, you know, character with specific wants and needs, and then let me play out uh, the kind of decisions that I would make if I were that person. Um, that I, I think that is amazing in terms of being able to give us uh, a different perspective than the, than the one we live in. What about you, Russ? I, can I pick yeah, back I mean, real quick I, before Russ yeah, answers that? Yeah, go I ahead, just wanted to say, I would love to see a study that compared various forms of storytelling with uh, how that relates to levels of empathy. Anyway, mm. what do you think, Russ? Yeah, no, no, no. Um, you know, I think you guys both really talked about it. <laughs> I mean, you covered most of it, but um, I, I think there's a lot that gaming can provide. I think there's a lot that media and pop culture can provide. I mean, let's be honest. We're not going to escape that. I think... I think, unfortunately, you know, not to be a judgmental person or anything like that, but uh, I think families that try and completely close off their their children from, you know, the world, from media, from pop culture, from all of that, I think they do a disservice to those people, you know. Um, and, and I've talked to him about this a few times recently, but one of my best friends growing up, um, his family, you know, kind of cut him off from a lot of that. He did not own video games. The first video game console he owned, I gave him my PlayStation 1 when I got, like, my PlayStation 2. Uh, and so that was the first time he had a video game system. Uh, he absolutely loved getting to experience that and getting to do all that. Uh, I think what we can really do, especially on that front, is let's find ways to tie it uh, to player spirituality, to promote those values, to talk about empathy, compassion. It's a great tool to discuss these things with people, you know? And I think, you know, taking a little bit of a different direction from what you guys are talking about is, you know, why not? Why, why don't we use this stuff as tools and talk about it and do all that stuff? I, you know, I know the two of you do that with both of your kids, um, you know, and have those conversations and look at those things. 
I mean, it's a great way to strike up those conversations in a more natural way rather than being really awkward about it um, or not talking about it at all and kid coming home from school and talking about different things, um, you know, and not really understanding. But being able to experience in a safe environment, to be able to look at empathy, compassion, cooperation, to be able to talk about spirituality and what that means and what that looks like. I, I just think gaming can be such an amazing, amazing tool. Um, and luckily I think we're getting to that point. You know, there's all those studies now that talk about that, you know, gaming is great for motor skills. Gaming is great for problem solving. Uh, you know, gaming is not what people thought it was where it's just a mind numbing zombie thing. That's going to mush your brains. Um, we're finding out it has very good repercussions to you as a human. Heck, even, Violent games, uh, you know, have become an outlet for people struggling with that stuff to a, to an extent where we talk about that, where studies are saying that they are actually better for people and they're not turning people into violent monsters that go out and do horrible things. So uh, you guys as parents, wh what are your thoughts on me kind of going in that direction? Uh, I'd love to get your take since you guys are the ones with the actual, you know, kids who play games. Yeah, Brian, I think I think I think you're exactly right, Russ, that, uh, you know, video games can be a really effective tool to open up discussion with your child. Um, and and you can sort of delve into, you know, some of these scenarios and questions that they have that arise from from playing games and playing different scenarios. So I think it is a powerful tool. It's you know, I think it's up to us as parents to kind of try to capitalize on that and use that as discussion with our own kids. What about you, David? Yeah, I think um, whenever it comes to games, and I think the same thing with games and, and movies, I think that um, I read an article a while back that was by um, some London-based study that talked about whether games were good or bad for kids. And the study talked about the the answer really not being based on how much time or even what kinds of games were being played, but the function of the game for the kids. And was this a game that then the family talked about or engaged in together? Or was this a game that the kid went off and played by themselves alone? Was it used as a babysitter of, you know, here kid have a PlayStation. Um, and the, the, they found more positive interactions and more positive benefit when families played together or would interact and talk about games, even playing alone together, right? So four people in the same room and, you know, they're all playing their own games, but they're in the same room kind of checking in with each other. So I would just say anytime that we can talk to our kids, talk to our families about the games that they're playing, about the stories that they're engaging with, I think it's going to have a better positive long-term result than if we're just saying, Oh, go off and play whatever. Uh, I hope it's not too violent. So, that kind of answer the question oh yeah that we're 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 golden on that so david brian any more uh questions you guys i've, I've gone through the questions that i have here i, I got i one. have one more okay okay let's I'm do one go, more for I'll each of first. you yeah. yeah yeah so uh question from ethan in your opinion what are some of the essential elements that make a video game enjoyable and or are there any elements of games that ruin them? Yes. Yes. Yes, there are. Go ahead, Russ. I am very I, I'm I'm on my soapbox recently about this one. I, I will shout it to the rooftops. 
Uh, games are getting too big. Uh, I'm going to just say it. Game, it's, it's the quantity over quality that we kind of mentioned a little earlier. Uh, and I think some of the games are realizing that and starting to pull back. The one franchise that I will always come back to on this, Assassin's Creed. Seriously, and, and Ubisoft, your your open open world collectathons have got to stop. Like, I get it. As gamers, we want value, right? That's that was the big thing. Games are getting expensive; they're costing more. It's seventy bucks to buy a game now. I need to get lots of time to 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 beat it and all that. I'm not that way. I look at it as you give me a really good thirty hour experience, I got my money's worth. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I got my money's worth. But when you have to create a 100, 200 hour game that I have to sink in and it just gets repetitive and boring, there's only so much you can do new in a 100, 2 hour, 100 hour game. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, so re repetitiveness, all of that kills me. As far as what makes a good game, uh, it is it is finding the perfect sweet spot between good gameplay, good story, Good side missions, good extra content. Sprinkle in a little bit of collectibles or puzzles in there as well uh, to kind of help fill in the gaps between those moments. Uh, and you got a perfect game. That is why, to me, uh, games like The Last of Us, The Last of Us Part Two, um, other games that I absolutely loved. Uh, the Uncharted series was enough for me between the gameplay puzzles and all that, and then the story elements. Um, th there's a reason that, th that a lot of those games are on my top five list uh, for favorite games. So, uh, yeah, that's my little soapbox when it comes to what's wrong with gaming right now. Uh, David, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I would say I would agree with you. I think the same thing um, with huge games. I mean, we've talked about my uh, pushback <laughs> on playing The Witcher 3 because I'm like, I don't yeah. know that I've got 80 hours to devote to this game right now. Um, you know, and so I think games are too big. I do think uh, overly complicated games just kind of drive me away. Uh, games with repetitive tasks. Right. So this is where I think sometimes the, uh, you know, for me, the difference between fallout three and fallout four, fallout four had a lot of missions that were like, Oh, I need you to take this box of cereal to my grandmother who lives on the other side of the map. You're like, okay, great. Let me just walk to the other side of the map again. And then the grandmother gives you coins and she's like, here, take this back to my granddaughter who lives on the other side of the map. And you're like, what was the point? Like, <laughs> You know, fetch the, the, the fetch quests, the, you know, just the grind, uh, I don't like, I don't like pay to win games. You know, I understand games trying to, to take on a different, uh, economic, uh, model. Right. But, but saying a pay to win game of, Hey, if you pay an extra hundred dollars up front, then you get an advantage when you start this game. Cause you'll get more cards. You'll get more packs, whatever. Um, with that, I would say things that ruin games would be loot boxes that are actually value-based, where you are encouraging gambling amongst children. Uh, this was a huge one with PUBG back in the day, where you would get a loot box that then has a, an item you could actually sell on the marketplace. So people would spend $5 to get a loot box on the hopes that they would get a marketplace item they could sell for 100 bucks. How is that not gambling? Um, anyway. So, and then the second part of the question was, what are, is it the elements of games that I really like? Or what makes a good game to you? What are the elements what, that make it good? What things are essential? <coughs> yeah. 
to me, story. Um, I, I struggle to get into games that lack depth of story. Um, so there's a lot of games that I think Assassin's Creed has become like this, where it's got a story, but the story almost feels secondary to the gameplay. Like they want to make a game that feels good to play. And you're just going to enjoy doing these mechanics for 50 hours. Um, versus a game that tells an amazing story and the gameplay is in service of the story, right? Sometimes the story is in service of the gameplay. I like story first. I will take story every single time. Uh, even to the point that I love some of the games people call walking simulators. Uh, if they tell a great story, uh, for me, the other thing and we've talked about on the podcast before is graphics. I love being wowed by graphics. I remember back in the day when half-life two was about to come out and they came out with the half-life, uh, physics engine demos, right? The same kind of way that when the unreal engine five demos came out and you see it and go, Oh my gosh, that's being rendered live on a computer. Like I am not, I'm not physically in this space, you know? So that's the kind of thing then that I look forward to when VR graphics get that good or when computer graphics get even better. Uh, so to me, story graphics, which I guess comes back to immersion, uh, in some sense that, that being engrossed in a game rather than just kind of casual, whatever. So those are some of the, the make or break things for me. Brian, what about you? I know you were the one that asked the question. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, you guys already mentioned quite a few really great things. I think you both touched on grinding, uh, which is like in terms of stuff that ruins a game, for me, grinding is is right near the top. Um, and then if I never play another quick time event, it'll be too soon. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely, that really breaks... I don't know. I just, I just do not enjoy that type of gameplay. So for me, that can definitely ruin a game. And then in terms of uh, essential elements, things that, you know, have to be there for a game to be good or enjoyable. Uh, I think responsive controls is right near the top for me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if a game has bad controls, again, that's a quick way to ruin a game uh, that otherwise is great. Just like, man, if the controls don't work, I'm I'm going to be sad and I'm not going to want to play anymore. All right, Dave, I think you have one more question for us. Yeah, Brian, I'd be I'd be really curious to get your input getting a PlayStation playing games like Heavy Rain or Detroit Become Human <laughs> that have amazing story and weird controls cuz they're like camera-based mm. controls and they're I don't know, it's strange. Um, I will say um a lot of our games that we like, Dave, do have a lot of quick time events like um, oh yeah, Spider-Man, Uncharted. But those are my earlier. least favorite parts of those games. Like I do not um, like the I'm okay with it because of the cinematic element to it. Like it makes me feel cool to at least instead of just watching a cutscene, you give me something to do during the cutscene uh that makes me feel a little cooler. Uh but I also understand uh you know Brian's thing because I have played games where it's just like everything is a quick time event. Mm. Everything. Um, and yeah, or, so, you know, or the thing be... where you fail it over and over right. and over again. And okay, it's just yeah, like, no. I just want to be done. No, 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 there, no, there no, were, no, there no. were a lot of those in Detroit become human. Yeah. It felt like, so, and it's funny when you said quick time event, I thought for some reason that maybe there was like, we were talking about quick time, like the Apple video player. 
And I remembered some of those games where like there was an animation and it felt like there was a video being played over the rendering like mist. Do you, do you remember some of those animations in mist? Anyway. Or um, the old like Star Wars games that had like you know video uh, you know videos that played over the the uh, yeah I I remember those type of things. All right, so my last question here, um, and I think I might have a bonus question, but let me ask my last question, and I'll double check if the bonus question is still good. This one's specifically to Russ. Russ, this person says, uh, knowing that you're an accountant, and this is Aaron from Minneapolis. Uh, Aaron says, Russ, knowing that you're an accountant, do you find yourself having a unique approach to managing resources in strategy or simulation games? Uh, have you ever used those, those games to explain financial concepts to other people, perhaps like your youth group? Oh, Oh, I've never thought of that second one. Uh, I have thought of something a little bit different related to accounting, but as far as my inventory management, I am the worst inventory manage manager. Uh, when I am not working, I do not want to be organized. I do not want to do all that stuff. So I definitely don't bring that with me. On top of that, I think here here's a mis common uh, misconception about accountants. Everybody, if you're an accountant out there, please like chime in and tell me you agree with me. Um, accounting isn't so much about the numbers. It's not about the one plus ones. Okay. We have calculators for that. We have, uh, you know, Excel for that. What it's truly about is two things, problem solving and the ability to, to see the story behind the numbers. You know, what story are the numbers saying? That's accounting. Those two things are accounting. It is, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I have to use a calculator for everything. I have to use Excel for everything. Like, I am not the greatest at math, and people think that I am, and I always joke because I'll, like, mess up some simple equation because I can't do it fast enough. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to, to, to games and inventory management, it, it's not about that. So, uh, problem-solving-wise, yes, they go hand-in-hand. Hand. I love video games because I love to problem-solve. I love being an accountant because I love to problem-solve and figure out uh, things. As far as like using it as a tool, um, I think I, I haven't ever thought of it in that way. What I do think about when the fact that I'm a, an accountant and kind of how I relate that to games, I also do like the background ideas to games. I like the idea and the story of game development. How did it all happen? What is the story to the behind the scenes? You know, what does the budget look like? How do they allocate resources when creating these games? Similar to Brian's idea of thinking, okay, how did they make this? What did they do? Um, one of my favorite things in the world that I've started picking up on are, are these different books that you can read that kind of give you that behind the scenes into how things work. Um, one of my favorite books that I've read in the last couple of years is Console Wars. It is the behind the scenes of what the console war between Nintendo and Sega looked like. And a lot of that is, you know, the monetary things, the CEO making decisions. How are we going to market this? What are we going to do here? So all of that has become fascinating to me. So I love books like that. Another book that I like real quick, uh, which isn't game related, but it's on this financial one. I have a book. I can't remember the title. I have it back there. I read it. Uh, it is about the finances and the reasoning for the creation of the English Premier League for soccer and how that happened. Uh, fun fact, uh, for sports fans out there, uh, who don't realize this, the top like five teams in an, the old fashioned England league who were making millions of dollars while the other teams weren't decided to leave and create their own premier league. And they signed the biggest TV deal in history to make a ton of money. 
Uh, so that's how that started. It was very interesting to see how that is almost like a coup. Those are the stuff I love. I love looking at that stuff and, and really diving in. Um, Brian, what do you think? Or do you have any more expansion on, on that? Yeah, I do. I, you know, in terms of like using your job, your day job as like a secret weapon in games, uh, as a programmer, this does come up from time to time. And I think part of it is that game programmers tend to use, uh, you know, their computer science knowledge in games. And so the, the thing that I've noticed the most is like puzzles that are well-known computer science, like thought exercises show up in games. And the best example I can think of of this is uh, when playing through Knights of the Old Republic, there's, uh, there, there's a problem in computer science called the Towers of Hanoi. And that exact problem is one of the puzzles in the game. So it's like a secret weapon that my programming knowledge, I was like, oh, I know how to solve this. This is just Towers of Hanoi. So, <laughs> so it does come up from time to time for sure. Okay. Um, so real quick, uh, let's, let's do one last question because I think this is a good question to end on. Uh, I haven't asked a question and, you know, I really want to get Dave's thoughts too on this. So uh, Noah from Coeur d'Alene. Idaho, of course, up here near where we live in Montana, not too far. Uh, I'd love to hear your reflections on this. In your guys' journey as Christian gamers, what is one instance where a game deepened your faith or provided a new perspective on it? We're going deep to end, boys. Let's do this. So, Dave, Reverend David Petty, uh, what are your thoughts on this question? Hmm. Hmm. Um, gosh. A place where a game deepened my faith. Um, I mean, to me, I guess maybe, yeah, I'm going to go with the different perspective on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm trying to remember the specifics. Um, but there was a scene in which, uh, the characters in the last of us Two discuss the relationship they have with their faith as they mm -hmm. enter this synagogue. And yes. it, and it's just this beautiful, like, I, I can't even describe it. So I know that it happened and I know that it changed my perspective. Um, I'm going to try to come up with a better, uh, specifics to this answer. But to me, it was, it was that moment of just kind of hearing their perspective. And again, we talked about experiences. I don't often get to talk to people who are former synagogue Jews, uh, that, you know, former uh, Jewish people who've been in synagogues on a regular basis, because as a Christian pastor, I'm mostly spending time with current Christians. Uh, so it was a wonderful kind of thing that, that I think also then came out of the creator's uh, kind of experience with their faith. So in a way it's, it's a storytelling mechanic. Uh, so those kind of things are just really, really good. Oh, and I know I actually, I've got a better answer. Uh, and Brian, I hope I'm not stealing your answer or anything like that. Uh, again, it's perspective and it's not deepening, but it's perspective and perhaps reaffirming. Um, there are some tragic moments in, um, the game that dragon cancer mm. relating to the faith that that person had and how problematic their faith community was and, and yet how strong they were in their faith and, and I, I can't even describe it. Um, but Holy cow, that was moving. Um, and so to me, that was, you know, again, it's that walking in someone else's shoes and just going, wow, um, I had no idea these things. So, um, yeah, Brian or Russ, do, do you guys have moments like that in games that have 
deepened your faith or changed your perspective? Yeah, I, you know, that, that I, I actually could not play that game because of my life experience, having, having lost a child. Um, <laughs> you know, I've lived that experience authentically. So yeah, you didn't um, need to live somebody <laughs> else. I didn't need had... to play the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I'm glad that game is out. I was really happy to see that game get made um, because I, I was I, I it's it's great to be able to have people be able to share that experience in a, in a kind of a small way, right? Kind of increase their understanding of of what that what that's like and how it can be it, for some people a crisis of faith and for others it can it can deepen your faith. Um, the the game that comes to mind for me, I'm going to go back to the well of Pentiment, um, a game that I think is just really great in terms of its authentic presentation of the way people lived, um, and especially religious people in, uh, you know, in the I think it's in the 16th century, um, and the th- the thing that was neat about that was just like, hey, there, y- yeah, there were some people that were terrible in this time there were some people whose faith was totally inauthentic but also there were people of very deep and real faith in this time that really were um you know doing their best just like we're doing our best to improve ourselves and to become more like christ every day there were people doing the same thing at that time um and and i I thought that was just really cool um and you know, not necessarily deepen my faith, but but just reinforce that idea of hey, this is something that's been going on for a long time, and we all as humans go through this experience of uh, at least those of us of faith of of trying to get uh, you know to improve and get better. What about you, Russ? Yeah, um, I mean, I was going to piggyback on on the Last of Us too uh, as part of that. Um, and there was really a great article that came out around the time that the game came out um, from the Washington Post talking about the religious aspects in it and to kind of expand on what David talked about. So the characters, what happens is uh, Dina in the story, they obviously go in a synagogue. Dina is a practicing um, practicing Jew. And on top of that, Dina is a little bit older. She was you know, a part of the world before the apocalypse and before the infection whereas ellie the main character she only knows the infection and all that so the 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 ideas and what they talk about when they enter the synagogue is what was it like what was it like during that time what was it like to go to a synagogue what does this mean um you know ellie asks a great question about prayer uh that occurs during that part of the story uh and what i love too is she asked dina she's like do you still pray and Dina's like, yeah, yeah, I still pray. Like, you know, and she even, she admits, she says like, you know, I don't know if I really believe anymore or anything like that. Um, but there's just something about prayer that makes me feel good. That makes me feel calm. That relaxes me, um, which is why I still do it to this day. And, you know, I, I pray for all these wonderful things. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of, kind of cool um because especially if you think about what's going on in the story of the last of us and all of the tragedy that ellie has gone through um it's a really good example of ellie kind of being like oh maybe this could help me um and i actually pulled up the quote so ellie said does it help 
Uh, and Dina says, I think it calms me. It helps me put things in perspective. It's a way to deal with grief, a way to show respect. It's just what I know. Um, and I love that explanation, especially we as Christians. When I heard that and that whole that whole um, exchange back and forth and how they, they fit that in, that is one of the best, like, not like direct responses or direct uses of Christianity in a game um, and religion, but just a great way to tie it into the story to kind of expand on the story itself and what's going on in it because the game is a story of revenge and loss and grief um, and all these amazing things. And this is a great way to say, okay, we're not just going to throw religiousness or religion into this game for any particular reason, but the fact that it also ties to the fact that Ellie uh, is searching for answers. She is searching for a way to... um, kind of come to copes with things and deal with her grief and she realizes huh maybe this might be a way to do that uh it's a great little tie-in to the game for sure yeah well i think that just about wraps up our entire listener segment where listeners have sent in their questions and full disclosure uh we actually i don't know if we have that many listeners but all of these questions were written by chad gpt and it's wonderful AI-ness. Uh, but we thought it would be a fun way to get some questions. That being said, if you are a listener, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your questions. Uh, you can shoot us emails at xfirepodcast at gmail.com uh, or engage with us on our Discord, which I think I've got uh, right here. I'm going to put up a picture of Russ's face. Oh, no, here's my face right here. Discord dot church gamers.com. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm pointing at the words discord dot church Uh, this will get you engaged with our discord channel and you can just ask us questions there. So uh, rather than, you know, the old school way of sending in mail and we pull out a big bag full of mail. Uh, but you know, if you want to send us mail too, we can, we can get you a way to get us mail. Uh, but I'm not giving out my home address over the air here. So We love you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to our podcast and being silly with us. Thank you for engaging in these deep questions of what our faith is calling us to do and how we are able to act in the world. And what in the world does gaming have to say to any of that? So we appreciate you being here with us. God bless you. And we will see you next time for another episode of Crossfire Faith and Gaming. Have a good night.